0: Testing, testing. It's still way too loud. Can you get Jamie? Can you please come get Ellie? Okay, let's try the skin. You're listening to The Neurodivergent Nurse. And I'm your host, Jamie. I'm a registered nurse who has ADHD. On this podcast, we will talk all things ADHD. I'm really just beginning to learn about this diagnosis and how to navigate through it. But I am so excited to take you on this messy and raw journey with me so that we can learn together. So let's get started. Hello, 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 my NeuroDivergent family. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Neurodivergent Nurse. This week, I have a great guest who joined, who is a therapist, an author, who has a whole philosophy surrounding how to help those who are highly sensitive. Before we go straight to her interview, just in case you may not know, I want to talk to you about hypersensitivity and ADHD. Did you know that people with ADHD may have hypersensitivity? Things like noise, touch, light, even movement can make all day activities more of a challenge. If you live with ADHD, your brain may have a hard time filtering out unnecessary information. Your brain processes everything. It soaks up stimuli like a sponge that includes things that others might ignore. A crowded venue, a loud dog barking, an itchy shirt. All those things can be overstimulating to your brain. This sensory overload can result in headaches, rashes, angry outbursts self-isolation, all of those in order to avoid the triggers. Many of us don't realize, though, that alongside the hyperactivity, attention, impulsivity, that people with ADHD may experience sensitivity to their environment, and it's totally understandable. Although hypersensitivity can be overwhelming, there are ways to successfully treat and manage the symptoms, like medication. Therapy, which is why I brought this amazing therapist on to talk to you. And there's also self-care strategies that could help you decrease the effects of your hypersensitivity. So what is hypersensitivity? Hyperempathy syndrome and sensory sensitivity, a.k.a. hypersensitivity, are neurobiological-based symptoms. It means that physical and emotional stimuli may feel overwhelming at times. Research suggests that hypersensitivity is common in people living with ADHD. If you have hypersensitivity, you may be reactive to loud and sudden noises. Like, I do not like the sound of fireworks. They startle me. Even if I'm watching the fireworks, I instantly get startled whenever I hear that noise. Bright lights are another thing that people may be hypersensitive to. Too many people intense odors, itchy or tight fabric. With the noise sensitivity, you may be sensitive to sounds like repetitive clicking of a pin or the ticking of a clock. Or like I said, the loud noises could be more triggering for you like kids playing or people chewing loudly, like my husband, or the unexpected bark of a dog. You could have touch aversion. Touch aversion can result from the tags on your clothes, the feel of beauty products on your skin, or the sensation of jewelry that's too tight against your body. The visual sensitivities include light, like the flickering of lights, repetitive movements, even sunshine. Smells of perfumes, gasoline, and other strong odors can become overwhelming to those living with hypersensitivity. I cannot stand... The smell of food. As a nurse, when I used to have to take food to patients and you pull the lid off and that powerful scent of food would hit me, it, it drove me crazy. Also, if I eat sushi and throw it in the trash and the trash is sitting at my desk, if I can smell the soy sauce... I can't handle it. There's also sensitivity when it comes to movement, like claustrophobia or being in an elevator in a large crowd. Those can prove too much and it can result in an emotional or physical response. So here's some signs and symptoms of hypersensitivity. With hypersensitivity, the overwhelming influx of sensations can produce any array of symptoms. Emotional symptoms can come about like emotional outburst mood fluctuations, low tolerance for frustration. There can also be physical symptoms as well, such as eczema, asthma, even allergies. If you think of the brain as a sink, information typically drips slowly down the faucet and it's filtered on the way. For those of us living with ADHD, the faucet is turned all the way up to the highest setting. In essence, a brain with ADHD floods your system with details. Every sensation is felt, every noise is heard, and everything within eyesight rushes into the brain because of the inability to filter out all the extras. Research has shown that this activates your sympathetic nervous system. That's your fight or flight mode. As a result, you may feel overwhelmed and even maxed out, while other people, it doesn't really bother them at all. Now that we have all of that great information out of the way, we're going to turn over and talk to LaFeya Mitchell, a therapist that you'll learn has a focus in helping those who are hypersensitive. So tell me a bit about yourself.
1: Um, A lot of things. Um, I'm a licensed marriage family uh, family therapist that's kind of, how I got started with trying to introduce this what I thought was a method before but uh, when I wrote the three books that I mm-hmm. wrote with this woman she said there's a philosophy behind what it is that I do and so basically I didn't really believe in that at first it was just more of a okay you know I just do things in the way I do them and you know and it's just kind of like a gift and <laughs> and you know kind of leave me alone I don't want to write about it yeah yeah <laughs> So I was kind of like that. And then it moved into, okay, you know, this really is making a difference for people who like struggle for a really long time. They, they could have been in therapy for many, many years, 10, 15 years, no results. And they come in to see me, which I was not trying to make myself all that special, but it would make a difference. Like their lives would change. Right. It was probably like the last time for me that I saw a kid and the parent came in and they were like, um... We've been, we've had her in therapy for like 10 years and she's just suffered all this time. And where have you been? And, and <laughs> you need to tell other people about what it is you're doing. And I'm like, okay, you know what? It does not make sense for people to suffer for so long. Yeah, I agree. Basically what I'm teaching is to me and actually not just to me, but when I teach it to other people, it's really, really simple. It's really, it, it just requires a lot of intention, right? A lot of focused intention, and when you can do that, when you understand what it is you really want, and you work toward that, is kind of where I'm coming from. Then you'll get more of what you want out of life, and more with the people that you interact with. And that's whether you're a parent. This is like the relationship between you and you, the relationships on your job, you know, everywhere. But my my niche has always been um, working with parents and children. But again, it ends up helping helping marriages and people mm-hmm. on the job and. Now I've actually been doing some staff development stuff. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, staff development, but, it, but it's good because it's fitting and it works. And yeah. um, and it's just, I don't know. I've never fancied myself one that wants to be in front of people. I'm kind of awkward. I know that. It, I'd be in sessions with people and like, I forget. So I like sit on my foot and do very unprofessional looking things. <laughs> um it probably been the makes best.
0: them feel super comfortable, though, to know that you're not so stiff, and
1: or maybe makes
0: them feel like I'm weird. And <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs>
1: which is no, which is okay. No, I'm actually weird, but it, it's okay because I actually embrace the weird. I, I, I like the weird. I like I like being different. I feel like it's where my giftedness comes from, mm-hmm. and so. But and I've always had struggles with like eye contact. Could you imagine being a therapist? has trouble with eye contact so always have I've always had struggle with that and so it was just interesting because when people started to learn about what it is that I do they'd see that I was a little bit you know different a little bit strange and they wouldn't care because they're like okay we heard that (laughs) you know you're amazing I think it started out with just me and my own oddities and quirkiness and you know and all that and I guess if I were to diagnose myself I call myself probably a bit on. I've come. I come from trauma background, but I have a lot of lot of traits that fit in with the kind of ASPI side and the aviation side because that kind of comes along with it. <laughs> I've taken all the skills that I've learned over the years, things that I use, and I'm just sharing with people. That's basically what I'm doing right now. That's why it's now called the LaFayle Way because it's literally based in my life. So that's
0: great. I was I was looking at your website and like your books and stuff and it just it seemed like such full of a lot of kindness and understanding and that that had a lot to do with the way that you encourage people to navigate through dealing with others and people who are neurodivergent as well
1: yes and, and dealing with themselves first like that's that's <laughs> yes. kind of where I'm going, it's like to you first, and you you really can't give to other people what you don't have, and you don't, you can't have if you don't give it, you know, Can't pour
0: from an empty cup,
1: right? And so, and so it really does come from that place and space, And, and yeah, it's about being genuinely kind, and, and I mean, intentionally so, like understanding that if you say, want things like peace in your life, right, then you will learn how to think in ways that help you to gain more of that peace in your life and you'll mm-hmm. act in ways that will show that that's peace there's peace that you want in your life and you know and I'm kind of giving you a formula for how to do that.
0: That's great. So what are the what are the books that you've published?
1: Okay, I've published so far three parenting books and I'm working on and I'm working on a parenting curriculum but then I'm also working on a more general curriculum because I want for everybody to benefit at this point. But um, the three books that I've published so far are—they're all under the LaFayway series—and the first one is, you know, Fresh Approach to Parenting Hypersensitive Children. Lots of people struggle because they don't understand what hypersensitive really means, and I refuse—I have refused—to go away from the word because hypersensitive encompasses so many people, yeah. right? Not all people, but—and—and and then also, especially with the COVID times, like. Almost everybody's hypersensitive now, you know, at this point, but it's just when you're just extra sensitive to the stimuli around you. It's not, you know, it's not a huge definition, but I don't want to pull away from it because sometimes kids aren't, or people aren't labeled, you know, maybe they don't, they aren't diagnosed with ADHD or they're diagnosed with, you know, Asperger's or autism or, or reactive attachment, right? They're not diagnosed, but we know there's something going on. Mm -hmm. causing them to you know react in ways that are a little bit more you know strong than what you find in your typical person right but hypersensitivity is is so especially when there's no diagnosis and actually sometimes when there is actually a diagnosis the people people tend to be mistreated because they go misunderstood dramatically right and and it's time for people to really understand if you if you interact with anybody right, in, in a specific kind of way, right, that's true to our, all of our own innate need to connect with others, right, it's true to that, then you will find yourself a lot more successful in relating to them, so, but we have fresh approach to hypersensitivity, understanding your Aspie child is, is my next one, and actually now I'm going to retitle it to understanding your hypersensitive child, because it's not just about Aspie. that was like my niche area, but it it works for it works for and I explain that in the book but if you don't you know open the book because right you know, like, yeah <laughs> then it can't help you and then uh third is is becoming the true parental you and this is just helping those who are whomever it is you're working with talking to you're becoming now true to what it is you truly mean to reflect towards them right you're becoming more of who you
0: mean to be how did that become your focus? Man I don't, I think it's
1: just kind of, it like became a way of living for me. So if I started out an ex, extremely unhappy person, you know, as a youth, I was very, you know, I was a lot of things, a lot of violence, danger, dangerous, just very angry, unhappy mm-hmm. person, very sensitive to everything. And I just got to the end of that one, you know, just came one day, just, um, I was done with it. Like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm tired of being unhappy. And then it was just like this pursuit of happiness. And all of this way came about in that pursuit.
0: I don't know if you're aware, but one of the talents of people with ADHD brains is that we love to create, and it is no different for yours truly. I actually happen to have an Etsy shop, the name is Hope for Human Kindness, where my creations are up for sale, whether it's art on canvas, art on wine bottles, handmade door hangers by myself and my mom together. Head on over and check it out and see if maybe, just maybe, you want to bring some of that beauty into your everyday life As well. And again, the Etsy shop is hope for human kindness and is all one word. Now, go check it out before you forget and then come back and finish listening to this podcast episode. Wow. It's interesting and beautiful that you found that you had certain traits and attributes and then while trying to heal yourself you found ways in which that others could heal and navigate through the world and interact with others to be more empathetic and more sensitive to people who have similar issues to make their world a better place yes,
1: that's my that's, ultimate goal now, yeah I, I find that it, it's made my life a better place <laughs> right a better space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's completely changed. You know, it kind of broke some cycles, like this old generational cycles. Mm-hmm. So now my children are very different than, than me and, and kind of a lot of my family members and how we grew up. They're very different in people. Like they think in different ways. They interact with people more in, you know, just generally more successful ways. And, and it's, it's awesome to watch.
0: How have people received that? What is, what's the positive feedback that you've gotten from those that you have helped with your philosophy?
1: Okay, so positive feedback, it, it ranges from, it, it's a lot of people, some people are this completely changed my life. Like, mm-hmm. like, things are, now that I have, now that I kind of have a plan in mind, I have an idea of what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. Like, okay. things are going so much better. It doesn't make things perfect, but they're going so much better. And just some are, I don't know, some, down at the, at the other end of it, there are those who are like, well, you know, it, it it sounds good, right? But sometimes I hear it like some are, they're resistant, you know, there are guilty feelings that come along with not responding in ways that are really in alignment with what you truly want. Because what I'm calling people on is, hey, what are your core values? Like, if someone were to ask you what you want in your life, what would that be, right? And then the next step is, is what you're doing, how you're thinking, how you're feeling reflective of that. So Mm -hmm. it really causes a soul searching to happen. For some, there's, you know, like a, there's nothing wrong here.
0: (laughs) It's hard (laughs) Um, to accept that though, that there's, fault and the way that you are is not the way that is most beneficial
1: right and sometimes it's and I know I I can kind of come kind of tough with it because it's more of a if you want more of the things that you have then you continue to interact in the same way
0: Mm -hmm. right (laughs) exactly
1: if you if you don't like the conditions or the things that you have then it's important to acknowledge hey there is something I can do about that Right? Most people get stuck on there's nothing I can do about it. You know, it's just how I am and, you know, and those kind of things. So I'll get those who are stuck and I always call them stuck. Okay. Because it's not like they want to be in that place. They're just right. kind of just quicksand. Know, but, but it's more, it, it, but more the way that I talk to them is okay, if there are things in your life, interactions in your life that you're unhappy with, then don't you want to take a look at whether or not you can affect change? there well Mm -hmm. I've tried everything and you know all these things right and it's like okay well try this everything hasn't been tried it's just all that you've known to try as you know you've tried now learn something new continue to evolve and you will you know you will get to if you're fully intentional about it you will get to where you're trying to get to whether it happens just a tiny step at a time or not but it's really, really important to recognize those tiny steps in order to be able to continue that gives you the momentum to continue to move forward.
0: I think too, what you're saying, it really proves to the need and the benefit that even if you recognize, okay, here are things that need to change and I need to take these steps so that I can do things better or differently. It's not always something you can do by yourself, because if you've lived in this world, you can't see the forest from the trees, right? Sometimes, which just means finding a therapist, finding someone that can help you dismantle the ideas and the thought processes and the actions that they may not know have contributed to a certain mentality or, or how to get from point A to the proper actions to become the person that they really want to be that's different.
1: Right, no, that, that's very important. How long
0: it does is- that take for you to really start to figure out the actions that the individual person or family unit, the things they can do to benefit them? in the process? It's
1: an interesting process because at the beginning, before I start to meet with people, I always assess because I, I want to mm-hmm. make sure that I'm getting all of the information about them and their situation. Because oftentimes when you're initially, and I like to kind of move things along, I mean, not trying to rush, but I don't want it to take forever either. So sometimes it's, it takes time, you know, you have to develop the trusting relationship and all of that to start to get some of the real information. Whereas if you have a just kind of a well-placed assessment where you're just asking questions and you're you know in general, and, you know, then you get more of that information that you need from people. So I always recommend highly that you find a good assessment tool if you're going to work with someone. Right. But I would say that it generally doesn't take me very long because I'm, I'm extremely intuitive.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: can usually feel into what's really going on. So along with the, set, the assessment tool, Along with that sense of what's really going on, those things that kind of go unsaid, but you can kind of feel it and see it in the body language and all that, which is actually one of the things that I speak to. I speak to uh, when I say feel it, you know, I would call myself like what I call an emotion soaker, where I'm just kind of sponging in the feeling energies of other people. So I'm I'm strong with that. That force is strong Mm -hmm. with me and And that's something that I highly speak to throughout my philosophy too. That's where it's based. It's based on that. That's why I go into human kindness and really, I mean, from your inside, really portraying to another person that we are on the same side is so vitally important because if that doesn't exist, you will not have as much influence with another person because they will in some measure feel what's coming from you. They may not completely and totally be like really strong with it. Like I, like I'm super in tune to my emotion soaking, but we all do it in some measure and the stronger and usually the more hypersensitive, the stronger the emotion soaking is. And so, and, and so when you have that, then it's just, it's really, really important to first of all, recognize it for what it really is, which I mean, well, actually a lot of things are just a gift. If you can recognize it in that way, then you're like, okay, these can be my signs. This can tell me, this can give me information that I need to help another person or to help kind of help me help them help me, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. But yeah, when i work with families, it's generally pretty fast, but then it's always developing because you still have to go through that period of time where you're developing trust and they're dis- disclosing more and more of the deeper issues to you.
0: I know that I had one person on Instagram. So a lot of people will, send private messages and ask questions. And I mean, ADHD for me is a relatively new diagnosis since December and I've done so much research and they were talking about what are good character traits for therapists? What do you feel as being a successful therapist and author and you know, a lot of accolades? I feel like you may know the good things that they should seek out for someone that's truly going to benefit them.
1: Okay. So first and foremost, when you initially come in, they need to have, and like I just mentioned that first part, they need to have a good assessment process. So if they should be asking you, at least in your first session, a bunch of questions. So if you're working as a couple, there should be questions that are centered around being a couple. If you're working with, you know, whatever parenting issues, there should be questions that address and get you close to that. And if they're, if whatever your issue you should feel like they're touching on it some, you know, through their their questions that they ask you, they're touching on kind of bringing out some of what you've really been experiencing and the levels of that. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, I would say that another good mark of a good therapist is that they are inviting in your support system, that they are asking, you know, who supports you the most and making sure that they're actually engaging in the process along with you. I think that's good for, and, and now another one is someone that you feel good about. You should be able to, be, it's important to create a connection that will will help you to feel a lot, you know, kind of a trust toward your therapist, and if you don't feel that, if you feel like there are things that you need to hold back from them, or if you're feeling, you know, for example, if you're feeling like, you know, judged almost by them, if you feel like, you know, maybe certain there's certain things going on then you're likely with the wrong therapist. And it's important to find someone that you can trust. You know, it just really depends.
0: Yeah. I wonder, especially people who are hypersensitive. A lot of us who are, we have that rejection, sense of dysphoria. And anytime anyone starts to break down or to talk about maybe the negative parts of you, that's just not so beautiful and shiny that could change to create a better world for yourself, I would think that that would, a lot of people who are super sensitive um, to feeling rejected, how do you think that they should figure out, they're listening to you and they're trying to help, it should be somebody who listens and doesn't judge, like, how do they separate that from helping from judgment?
1: Now, okay, so one thing is very important is if you know that you're rejection sensitive, first it's important to check in with yourself, before you move forward with that. Because we don't the what we want to do is if we know there's something that exists in us, we want to at least keep it in, at the forefront of our acknowledgement. Not to down ourselves, but to ask ourselves a question whenever we're having an interaction. So we have we're having an interaction. Then in the first question and you feel like, oh my goodness, that kind of stung. <laughs> um, next question to ask yourself is okay, now is this more due to my rejection sensitivity or am I feeling something that's coming from them that, that feels like judgment? Because we can, if we start to ask ourselves the questions, we can sort it out. Right. And so even I'm very sensitive. So I have to stop and ask myself the question. So simply because I I teach me teaching on these things come, it comes purely from teaching from my success areas. It does not mean that It has eliminated any sensitivity in me and all that. And that's one thing that I want people to know out there. It's not that this will disappear and go away. It is a part of your makeup. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, And it's a part of your makeup. And I'll tell you this, you're absolutely fantastic the way that you are. So you take the parts of your makeup and the things that don't quite jive with what you want, then you start to work on making shifts. You don't look at it as a bad thing. You look at it as a thing. This exists for me. Okay. I'm kind of rejection, rejection sensitive I'm feeling some kind of way about what they're saying to me right now, <laughs> right? And so, and when you're feeling that, you say, okay, so is that coming from the sensitivity or is it coming from what they're saying or how they feel to me? And so then you can start to say, okay, this might be a little bit more to do with the rejection sensitivity. Highly rec- recommend for those who are rejection sensitive that you definitely, definitely, definitely work with someone who is solutions focused. Because if we stay too much into the problem, then that's going to cause, usually causes us to feel worse mm-hmm. about ourselves, you know, as opposed to, okay, I have this friend that would say this thing to me that was fantastic all the time. She was like, okay, you have, you have no problem, right? She said just like that. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't have no problems? I'm expressing a specific problem. And she kept saying, and then she started to explain to me that she said, you know, all problems are. Are things that give you like they're identifiers. They help you to recognize that there's a shift. If it makes you unhappy, it helps you to recognize there's a shift that needs to be made in order for you to feel better about it. (laughs) That's all is you know. I'm like, oh, it it was annoying at first. Like, you know, kind of hate that, but okay, it makes sense. And and it's important because it's it's empowering to know that okay, if there's something that I understand about myself, it doesn't mean that I have to say, oh, this needs to go away, or this shouldn't be, or because that means I shouldn't be, right? This shouldn't be. It just means I acknowledge it. And then, okay, now what? Okay. Yeah. I'm rejection sensitive. So now what? Okay. So this person, what they're saying to me, what if I heard them saying it to someone else? How would I respond to it? It makes it easier to move it outside of ourselves. What if, if I heard them saying this to someone else, would I feel like they were wrong? Okay. If your answer is no then you know that, you know, you put in the rejection sensitivity category. If your answer is yes, though, then you either deal with them if you want to. You can ask them a question. Hey, you know what? Actually, I, stepped out, I know I'm sensitive, so I kind of stepped outside myself to to really think about this. And you know what? If I heard you saying this to someone else, then I would, I would feel the need to defend them. So I don't think that it's appropriate for you to be saying to me.
0: That is an excellent way to go about it. And it seems so simple when you say it, but it's not something that's so simple in our head to figure it's out. <laughs> <laughs> I get that all the time. And people say to me, they say, oh, you make it sound so
1: easy. And I'm like, okay, so I want you to understand this. First of all, if it didn't sound easy and doable, you would throw it out. That's one. <laughs> but, but two, it's not, I know that it's not easy. I'm just telling you that it's doable. It's not easy at all. And when I talk about these things, I talk about moving in increment. Like you are literally, and this is another piece of it, to get to a place and space where you can get to that like great space. Like I would call this my like 80% space. I'm sure there's room to keep moving forward and evolving with this, right? That I haven't figured out yet. (laughs) And so, but I'm about 80% with it. But to keep moving forward, even if you feel like, I don't have any of that, right? I'm at zero, like 5%, right? If you start to work on this, then you're not expecting to go from zero or 5% to 80. You're expecting that you'll go from zero to one or two, you know, and from five to six or seven at a time. And as you do that, then what's happening is it's just like if you worked out, right? You have a, you have a muscle, maybe a muscle that's atrophied because it hasn't been used,
0: whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: And you have, you have to be intentional now about moving that muscle because it's not doing that thing naturally on its own. Oh, you're a nurse. You probably yeah. know this better than I do. Okay. But anyway, but you start to work that muscle just a little bit at a time, no huge expectations of self. Just, I'm going to try just a little piece of that. Like I might get a few of those words, right? Or I'm saying, even if you just think about it, that's, that's progress, right? Some people say, oh my goodness, I made the same mistake, right? And then at the end of it, I thought about it like, oh shoot, I was supposed to do this thing here. That's progress because it takes awareness to change. You have to bring awareness to it. Then the next step is maybe you only get half through or three-fourths through messing it up. Usually you spend an hour on it. This time you only spent you know, 30 minutes or <laughs> 45 minutes on it and you cut yourself off and that's progress. These are things that you hold on to and you celebrate. You say, okay, you know what? I didn't love that it still happened. However, I do love that I'm seeing progress. And as you do that, you're like uplifting and encouraging yourself. You're reinforcing the positive so that you can get to it faster and more, you know, a little bit at a time.
0: Yeah, it increases your motivation to not give up because- we're in such a now society that if we want something to eat and we don't want to cook, we go through a drive-through and get it handed to us right then. And even the same thing with progress, we want to see a result instantly. And in a very layman terms, not as beautifully as what you said, I tell people that in general. One of my favorite like sayings is, "How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time." Like it's just one small step one small bite one small and eventually the whole thing's gone it's
1: perfect that's so perfect it, <laughs> it's it's so it's so important for people to to recognize because this is where hope lies if we if we expect to go from that zero to 100 right um right away then when we do have that that progress from zero to one through ten whatever then it goes unrecognized and we're like, see, things never change, right? I hear this all the time. They say, I I tried this and nothing changed. Okay, well, first of all, something changed because you tried this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's one. (laughs) So so you can't say I tried something new and nothing changed. It doesn't work together. (laughs) Exactly. But because what that means is that first of all, it came to your, so you're even further ahead than you think, came to your awareness and you tried it. Sometimes it's only coming to your awareness and you don't even get to the (laughs) try, trial. And you tried it. Okay, so then how do we make the adjustments so that you can get there sooner? And that's what we talked about. How do we get you there sooner? And that's the goal, just a little bit at a time. I've had parents who had kids. I literally had a kid in my office before that ripped the door off the hinges. This kid popped his little seven-year-old self on the door and, and, and it down until the door came off the hinges okay and this kid when he improved and it happened in increments then the mom is like oh my goodness this is still insane <laughs> right and so my work the entire time was okay but did you notice that he tantrum because he would have tantrums for I mean hours on end hours on end he mm-hmm. tantrum did you notice that his tantrum he was able to end this tantrum before we even ended the session. Did you notice that it happened in forty minutes? In thirty minutes, did you realize that, this, that it kept working its way down till they didn't exist anymore? Right, till they were very far and few in between. And so, and I don't have the parents come in. We we had a good week, and then everything was ruined by what happened yesterday. Okay, did you hear yourself? Because if you had a good week when your everyday was terrible before, right? And yes. they had one tough day, that's huge. And so helping people to identify because this is what brings that, you know, that light of hope, like, oh my goodness, things are really changing. It's not always the same or here we go again or those kinds of things. No, it's not here we go again. Today's a brand new day. And remember that it's happen- happening differently today than it did yesterday. You just have to bring it to your awareness. Right.
0: And it's interesting to me. My, my background is neuro ICU for about, I don't know, eight years or so before I switched to rapid response. But it's so intriguing to how we can have such great and large changes. And our mind completely eliminates those horrible times. It's almost, I mean, it's sure is to protect us, right? Like that's the way that our brain operates and it's wired so that we don't always hold on to those negative memories so that we can live in a more beautiful, beneficial world. But it's so impactful in a negative way because then we can't, we don't remember what it was like before when everything was terrible, it's like a movie that you remember watching a long time ago. You can remember the pieces of it, but you don't remember the feelings and what that day to day was like. So it was great that you keep track and you remind people and parents of all of the progress because it's so easy for us to forget, you know, what it really was like before we started making those strides, especially yeah. when there's longer and longer time in between.
1: Yes. Yes. And, you know and- Recognize, see, now this is another piece. In recognizing the small steps, it's also important to acknowledge okay, we are all living right now in the microwave generation, in mm-hmm. the click mm-hmm. and it happens, right? <laughs> Pretty soon we're, we won't even have to go to the drive through. They're like they had on the Jetsons. They'll have those, you know, some machine where you just push it and the mules just poof right there, right? Yeah. So we're growing with, tech, with, the, with the advancement of technology. We're getting to things faster and faster. It's really important for us to to stop, just pause sometimes and recognize we cannot microwave relationship situations. Relationship situations, whether it be relationship with self or others, we this requires time and work and dedication to the work. And if you commit the time and you're intentional about how you spend that time, you will see positive change.
0: Definitely. I couldn't agree more. So how long have you been in practice?
1: Oh man, I've been in practice. Okay, so here's here's my long story. I guess I'm an old lady. because I'm like, oh my goodness, I've been licensed for like 14 years. And before I was licensed, I was in mental health already. So I was all in the case management. So all this was a, like a schooling and timing thing. So I've been doing the same work for over 20 years. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Which makes me an old lady. No, and, it does uh, not. <laughs> but I was—I had entered into mental health at age eighteen. I wow. was very—it was like my life, it, without any intentions. Uh, my intention was to go into nursing. When I was going to school, I was going to school specifically for nursing, and I took one psych one. And my first job was um, for developmentally disabled adult male sex offenders. I was in an in care home for developmentally wow. disabled adult male sex offenders as a residential counselor, okay? And it was back then, I didn't know it, but back then people started to understand, oh my goodness, you know, the house is a lot calmer when she's, you know, when she's there. And I'm only 18 when she's there, right? This is just through natural tendencies, I think. And then as I moved up, every job had to do with something having to do with like case management, home visitation, something along the counseling realm, even before I knew that I was going to go into psychology. I took one psych one-on-one course and it was over. It was like, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, this stuff is really interesting. Um, How do I change my major to stuff that has to do with that? (laughs) Right? And that's where, you know, that's the end of that story right there. But yeah, it's been a lot of years that I've been doing what I do. I've been working, I started to specialize in uh, working with Autism Spectrum Disorder about, I want to say about 17 or years or so ago. Yep, that's right about seven because it it matches my daughter's age (laughs) 17 years or so ago at the same time I was learning more about my own daughter's sensitivities so I started this work it was no I'll take uh, after I had my daughter so 16 years after I had my daughter so but I had this little kid with all these extreme sensitivities like to sound Mm -hmm. everything sight she didn't like anything like she was just a screamer all the time Right. But I worked with her in a very specific way to help desensitize her because I do understand sensitivity is not at the magnitude of hers, but I did understand. So with the bonding and attachment piece, you know, you need to have the eye contact and the loving gazes. Right. And she was she hated people to look at her mm-hmm. and talk to her for a lot of parents to be like, oh, this baby doesn't like me. you know. And for me, I'm just that weird parent that was like, well, she doesn't like when people look at her. Like, I yeah. knew who blame? But like, who can blame her, right? Yeah. You know, so, so I would just every time she cringe when I try to look at her, I just hold her out till she regulated, and then bring her back in, and we just practice for hours. I mean, at a time and for longer and longer periods of time until she can hold game. But that's kind of my was. and I learned a lot just in dealing with her. And then life kind of brought me into. The work with, I've never sought out or thought about working with autism spectrum disorder at all. And just a friend called me and said, hey, I think you'd be great at this. Come, you can come work whatever hours you want to because I was trying to be home with my daughter. Work yeah. what hours you want to. And I was like, okay, I'll try it, right? And I went in and all of a sudden learned a lot. Learned that I would get results with the kids that other people couldn't. Like I was taking, you know, there were kids that come in fully nonverbal, not really showing empathy, which I have my own arguments about that kind of stuff, you know, all these things and have the breakthrough where now they are verbal. They're all these things are. happening.
0: Wow. That's huge. And,
1: right. Like pulling them out of their own world. Like it's just almost like you kind of join them and then they come with you after you join them. Very interesting. It was a very interesting process. I kind of laid it out in my first book and I learned that there was a gift there and then we worked with, it was an intensive outpatient program. So we were working with kids who have autism spectrum, the more severe bipolar disorders and some mm-hmm. of the more severe disorders. And what they learned right away is the most complicated cases, send them to Lafayette. That was basically, you know, I didn't realize that it would become like a specialty of mine. I started to train staff though, because they were asking me like, you need to teach other people to do what you're doing. And then it just kind of, Uh, blossomed from there as far as becoming, you know, an expert in dealing and working with hypersensitivity. And so
0: I have a question for you. We'll probably lose people on this, but question. So how do you feel that Eric Erickson, because he has, or, you know, he had all of the trust versus mistrust and those progressions of normal quote unquote, do you see that that has any impact on the development of children who are having those types of issues that you deal with specifically do you think that that plays a part with them as well I'm just curious that's my own curiosity
1: right no getting into the ages and stages yes yes but now it's, it's understanding that there's an extra piece for the kids who have been dealing with the hypersensitivity because most of the time when they're dealing with hypersensitivity they don't get the opportunity to build relationships like other people have and Erickson was very, you know, based in, you know, how, you know. I loved and, him. And so, no, he's awesome. He's awesome. It comes along with some understanding that that when we get into those areas like trust versus mistrust, for the kids who are hypersensitive, most of the time, they're going to fall in the mistrust category because they have been treated throughout their lifetime as if there was something wrong with them. So now they can't trust what other people have to say or how they're responding because there's no acceptance in it. Mm-hmm. And the ego can't take that so right. either if there's something wrong with me then there has to be something if there's something wrong with me according to you then it has to be something wrong with you then so now i mistrust what you have to say to me because you cannot bring out the best portions of me <laughs> so so yes there's of course there's going to be an inherent disruption for those who suffer who suffer okay from the effects of hypersensitivity now I want because i want to qualify that because you can be hypersensitive and if you don't suffer from dramatic effects like the loss of relate or loss of ability to relate and connect with others in meaningful ways especially those who are like supposed to be your primary love relationship mm-hmm. people okay <laughs> and so because I will say like for, for my daughter for example I, I never felt put off I felt like I understood and and baby it's okay to be exactly how you are And for all those people out there who have a problem with how you are because you scream when a motorcycle drives by I will tell them if you would like her not to like you then you continue on in that manner and you will not be around us doing that down in my daughter because she's the best thing ever. Right? Yes, ma'am.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right.
1: But so she didn't she didn't necessarily experience that trauma. So what we've been able to do is pull all of her gifting out. So she's a magnificent artist. She's she has her areas of hyper focus and we take her areas of hyper focus and we make that her super strength without without creating a situation where where now other people are put off by it. So I give her you know, we give her the boundaries around it without making her the bad guy for having her focuses in the, her, in the way that she focuses, right? Yeah. And so, but when they have that, then we don't have the same struggles. But other than that, you're going to find that most of the kids are going to fall into those areas. And, and as we continue to develop, if you were in the struggle area, you know, at, at the younger age, then the likelihood that that will happen at the next stage, you know, it continues on right so somewhere we have to either break the cycle or like through therapy through mm-hmm. or not just whomever is the person who is diagnosed or struggling but for those around them because the support system needs just as much education if not more than the person who's struggling or supposedly you know, struggling <laughs>
0: When do you think is the best time for families with children to get involved in therapy?
1: As early as you see an issue. Think about it like if you had an infection, don't let it just go on. I like that. You know, that. <laughs> right until you till you get to the point where you know you can't walk anymore or you know or move whatever the area is anymore, and then seek treatment. Seek treatment when you first notice that mm-hmm. there's a problem, and then healing the healing happens so much more quickly when you get to it
0: early. I also know that a lot of people, they have the negative stigma that is like you were just talking with your daughter, that some people are very sensitive to how society views hypersensitivity, who deals with autism, even ADHD. And therapy sometimes is a bad word, depending on what part of society that you're in. What would you have to say to those people who are worried about the negative association by getting involved in therapy with their children, or even for themselves?
1: I think those who are worried about that piece, well, I have personal opinion about that. I'm going to give professional opinion about that first. Uh, you know, you guys don't hate me. A professional opinion about that is just get yourself more educated about the benefits of therapy, so that when people come to you with you know their weird ideas about how it works, then you can have something to tell them right? If that's important to you. Now on the personal side, it's they don't have to live your life. (laughs) And so if you need or want happiness in your life, it's very important to stay firm in I am most magnificent. So are the people around me and we are going to do whatever it takes to enhance that magnificentness. So then if someone else has an issue, then it's their issue, not yours. So please, I would say, keep other people, don't personalize other people's issues, even if they try to point them towards you. So simply because they wouldn't do something to help themselves out (laughs) does not mean that they get to kind of put that off on you, right?
0: Absolutely. I also tried to, just like you did earlier, I tell people all the time, if I had a stroke, then I would go to a neurologist. I would go to a brain doctor to fix my stroke. If I had a broken ankle, I wouldn't go to a heart doctor to fix my broken ankle. So if you have a problem with the, and and not necessarily a problem, but if you have something that could be better with your brain, then go to someone that specializes in making whatever world in reality that can fix those things that are causing you problems with your brain. Makes the most sense. (laughs) It really does. And it's so sad about It's sad that that other people will put that on individuals who genuinely want help. It's just it's heartbreaking to me. It really is. It's
1: so very important to recognize too that when other people are doing that, it doesn't come from. Actually, it's interesting because it doesn't come from. Probably a malicious space either most of the time we're hearing these things from the people who love us mm-hmm. right yes, Ooh, yes. and I, I call them i call them the well-doers you know a lot of the well-doers will essentially kind of keep you from doing things that you very much need to do right but if they knew better they would not right it comes from a space of i, w- I would say ignorance people might hate that word so it i
0: agree
1: lack of education at, mm-hmm. at minimum about this thing and so when someone you find that there's someone judging because there is a lot of stigma attached then you can you can tell them well if even if you didn't want to go out and get the education yourself you can say hey why don't you go get yourself kind of more educated you know as opposed to listening to other people's horror stories and who knows how they went about doing what they did Mm -hmm. or you know if they did their due diligence or if they went to one person and decided that that one person encompasses what you would get from anybody else. Because the goal is you find someone who matches up well with you. So even if that one person who didn't match up well with you, you know, that didn't work for you, they may work for someone else with a different type of personality. So it's about finding that right fit. We're not going to just go grab any shoes in the shoe store, yep. right? We're size 11 and we're going to go grab 13s and buy. We're not doing that. We're going to find something that's a good fit and then we're going to stay with, we're going to try it on and we're going to stay with that if it, fits, if it feels good to stay with.
0: And it's the same thing with medicine. Uh, let's say you have high blood pressure. One person's going to be able to take metoprolol and then the other person may do better with like labetalol or hydro, even, even things that are meant to heal you, they have to be for your body, for your spirit, for your brain and agreed you can't be like I took blood pressure medication once and it did this to me so don't take any at all it doesn't work that way in any form of the medical field so it shouldn't with therapy either right right where can people find your books and where can people I know you have a great website that I enjoyed reading through just tell us all the places where people can invest in you and get more of what you've given us today
1: Okay. So I have my website, com, and there you can find every resource that I give out, by the way. So you can find my Facebook groups, you can find my YouTube channel because I'm, I, I had to do a YouTube channel. I have to talk to parents about, and couples too, because I'm getting a couples I need too, to subscribe. I would
0: love to listen to you even more myself. How to, re- how to
1: relate to, to each other in a way that's going to cause you to be more successful. I'm like, okay, if you don't get to me, then at least get to the videos, right? Get to me through the videos. I have Facebook groups that are specifically for, you know, relationships. I also have, oh my goodness, I also have a couple of programs that I run. Um, Again, I've been highly focused on, parent, on the parenting piece. But again, I'm working with organizations now and I'm working with couples now because the LaFayette way works. Like if you take these core four steps and work them, then I'm telling you, you will see results in your life. So please, at least look into that. You can find my books through the website or through Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Just look up the LaFay way, and they'll pull up my three books that are starting out in my series. There's so many ways to reach me, and there's a contact me page as well because I love for people to reach out. Email me, text me, call me, ask questions my whole goal is to seriously, like you guys, you know, how people have their little, you know, their little taglines or whatever. Uh, I truly do want to heal the world one relationship at a time. Mm -hmm. Like that's my goal. I want so many more happy people in the world because I'm a super emotion soaker and it would make my world most magnificent to see more happy people.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. And thank you so much for coming on here. I'll also put in the show notes, I'll find all the links and I'll put it there. So it'll make it easier for the listeners as well to be able to connect to you and all the things that you offer for all of us. I really appreciate you coming on here and talking and spending your day hanging out with me. It means a lot to me.
1: It was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks. If you would like to contribute to this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Neurodivergent Nurse, where you can get exclusive bonus episodes, script of the show prior to the release, uncut video interviews of the guests, input on upcoming shows and ideas, and even more. Also, be sure to follow the Neurodivergent Nurse on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with someone that you think could also benefit from the Neurodivergent Nurse. And go ahead, while you have time and while you're thinking about it and rate it and leave a review five stars on your favorite listening platform so that other people can find the show easily as well and i hope you have a wonderful week and i can't wait to talk to you again